Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Tuesday, December 13th. 2022 has been a real roller coaster ride in Alberta politics. We catch up with Dwayne Bratt, political scientist from Mount Royal University, for a look back at the wild year that was in provincial politics. Next, the federal government plans to make Canada a global supplier of critical minerals and has earmarked nearly $4 billion for the project. We get details on what this means for the industry and the economy as a whole with Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. And finally, we take a look at the hottest online trends of the past year, specifically the top searches of 2022. Our on-air contributor, Dave McIver, breaks down the most Googled topics in Canada over the past 12 months. It's been a busy, busy year in Alberta politics, that's for sure. And with an election next May, things are continuing to heat up. Joining us with a look back at 2022 in provincial politics... That's the time machine is Dwayne Bratt, Professor of Political Science at Mount Royal University. Good morning, Dwayne. Thanks for joining us. Good morning, Sue. Okay, 2022, really a wild year in Alberta politics. Could you have predicted any of this, where we would be now, one year ago? I don't think so. No, I don't think we could have. Uh, It has been a wild year. Uh, If we thought that uh, 2021 and 2020 were, were, were crazy, I would say 2022 was, was even more so. And it, it, it's interesting because it's not just, it wasn't just our province. I think that this is, is this a reset that we can say having to do over the past few years? Do you think that things would have worked out differently, for example, for Jason Kenney, if the pandemic never happened? That is really, you know, the, the million-dollar question. Uh, I think he would have faced challenges, but it wouldn't, I, I think he would still be here right now. Uh, were it not for COVID. I think there were divisions within his party that COVID just just magnified and and then blew up. And so I think uh, that really is the the story. I mean, the the story of 2022 is the downfall of Jason Kenney and the rise of Danielle Smith. There's no there's no other story that that matches that. The question is, how did we get here? And it did not begin in January of 2022. You know, um, those uh, we knew we were going to have a leadership review in May back in 2021. Uh, it was just a question of how it was going to play out. Um, you know, we, we saw the open for summer in 2021, right. which was probably the biggest mistake of COVID that, summer ever. that Kenny made. Yeah. And uh, that led to the huge crash in the fall of 2021. And even into December of 2021, you saw the the cancellation of, you know, the World Junior Hockey Tournament. Mm -hmm. So we walk into 2022, and Kenny is wounded, but he's still got a lot of tools at his disposal on how to play this out. Um, You've got a leadership uh, review in May. Um, All hands are on deck. It was going to be in Red Deer, and then they moved it. Uh, so got delayed, and then uh, and then he lost. Well, no, he won, but won so narrowly that he was forced to resign that night, right. which then put us into a leadership race that went all summer. And then on October 6th, Daniel Smith becomes uh, leader, uh, is sworn in as premier a couple days later, and then everything just kind of calmed right down after that, right? No, <laughs> it's, just, it's just sped up. Yeah. Okay, so, I mean, you, you mentioned divisions. Obviously, there were divisions in the party before the pandemic. That exacerbated it. Now we have Premier Danielle Smith in place. Is she in a better place than Jason Kenney was in terms of uniting the party? Uh, hmm. 
Yes and no. It, it depends on which time period you're looking at. If you're looking at the time period of, let's say, April of 2022, the party is more united. Uh, you know, on the eve of that review, you had prominent members of the UCP caucus demanding Kenny's resignation. Nobody is demanding uh, Daniel Smith's resignation in the caucus. But if you compare where Smith is today, where Kenny was in, let's say, June of 2019, you know, just a month, two months after he became leader, no, Kenny was in a much stronger place than Daniel Smith is. You know, there's always been horses in the stable, but really only two horses in the race in the past number of years in Alberta politics. So when we look back at 2022, uh, what, you know, the down, quote unquote, downfall to a certain extent of the Alberta party or even the Alberta liberals where they are now. And I guess this is we're supposed to be a look back. But do we see any movement or any chance to expand the choices and options for Albertans? Or do you see this for the foreseeable future just being NDP and uh, UCP? Oh, yeah. The the 2022 um, poll numbers, 2022. financing numbers, uh, it's a two-party race. I think there was a moment where Barry Morishita and the Alberta Party had a chance, and that was in the by-election in Calgary, or in, not in Calgary, of course not in Calgary, in Brooks Medicine Hat. And, uh, you know, he's former mayor of Brooks. It's his home area, and he finished third. Um, He finished third with, you know, less than 20% of the vote. So if you've got your leader... In a riding where, um, you know, he's at home, where all the attention is on, and they can not even pass 20%, what's going to happen in, in ridings with no-name yeah. or with no-name uh, Alberta Party candidates? So, no, I think Brooks Benison Hat was an opportunity. It was a missed opportunity. And come 2023, you've got, you've got two choices. Um, you can put down other, there will be other names on the ballot, but over 90% of the votes will be between two parties. I wonder if that'll ever change in the future. But uh, anyway, we'll ask you to prognosticate in just a moment, but I'm curious about Danielle Smith. What do you think? So win or lose, if she loses, does she disappear from politics forever after that? (laughs) I said that in 2015. I know, because you can't write her off. (laughs) She's very smart. You know, the the most remarkable political comeback Mm -hmm. uh, I think we could have imagined. Uh, to have come so close to becoming premier in 2012, to have led the four crossing in 2014, to you know losing her party nomination in 2015, um, she went and did something else after that, <laughs> uh, and then becoming premier. Like it, it truly is a remarkable comeback story. But the the story is not yet written. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is not yet over. We may be you know, close to the middle or the end of the, the book. Uh, we'll have to see come uh, come May. But she campaigned on two key platforms in the summer. One was the Sovereignty Act, which has now been passed. We're just waiting royal assent on that. And it's not a watered-down version of what she ran on. It's pretty much what she ran on. And the other was relitigating COVID. Uh, and that, I mean, she's fired the AHS board. She's publicly apologized for those that were victimized by COVID uh, protections, um, restrictions, whatever you want to call it. You know, she fired the chief medical officer of health. Um, Subsequent, the deputies have left. So she is doing exactly what she campaigned on, for good or for ill. 
just over 150 days. I don't have the exact math, but between 150 and 162 days away from the end of May. In the crystal ball, Dwayne, what will happen in May? <laughs> you know, it's gonna it's gonna be a race, and Calgary is going to decide it. And uh, right now, she's got party unity, as I talked about, but it's a very fragile party unity. And I think all of the UCP caucus members, particularly in Calgary, are watching every poll that comes out because Calgary will be the battleground in 2023. And the NDP is winning in Calgary. Uh, They're either winning by 10 points or something smaller than that. Um, But this, uh, she's got a lot of tools left. Um, You know, we'll see what happens with the affordability package. We'll see if she gets the fight with Ottawa and if that looks like something that can unify Mm -hmm. Albertans around her. Uh, But she's now had a honeymoon. When I mentioned that Jason Kenney was more popular in June of 2019 than Daniel Smith in December of 2022, that's exactly true. Usually when you switch leaders, there's there's a bump in approval. That never happened with Smith. She remains huge. Um, uh, 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 disapproval rates, mm-hmm. uh, not not just slightly disapproved, but strongly disapproved. Those are going to be tough to move. It's so, going to be fascinating uh, to watch for sure. Dwayne, got to let you go for time, but you know we'll be in touch again and we'll be chatting about this more. So thank you so much for your year in review. Appreciate your time. Okay. See you soon. Thanks. See you, Dwayne Bratt, Professor of Political Science at Mount Royal University. The world learned a lot in the aftermath of the the illegal Russian invasion of Ukraine, where Germany found itself very much dependent on Russia for oil and gas. I don't think anybody wants to be in that position on a go-forward basis with critical minerals. That was a clip of the Minister of Natural Resources, Jonathan Wilkinson, on the latest episode of the West Block. Why does Canada want to become a global supplier of critical minerals? Joining us to talk about it is Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block, Mercedes Stevenson. Hi, Mercedes. Hey guys, how are you? Ex- well, cold here. Are you cold in Ottawa right now? <laughs> it's, a, it's a little chilly, but you know, we've had a pretty warm winter so far. I can't complain. It's been like, you know, in the plus number oh, most of it. Nice. Uh, but we do have a fine blanket of snow now, and I can see all the smoke arising from roofs around me. So I think it's pretty chilly today. No <laughs> doubt. Well, welcome to it, because we've had it for a bit. Uh, let's <laughs> heat things up and talk about uh, the show from this past weekend. Why has supplying a critical mineral become an important focus for the Fed? right now and you know let's talk about the, the financial part of this because obviously we don't do anything unless it involves the money yeah so this is like a 3.8 billion dollar strategy and it's to deal with um, minerals like copper lithium cobalt um, so what does you know what does the government have an interest in that for well there's two things one electrification in the future so like electric car batteries um, and anything to put in electrification kind of grids uh, you hear, of course, always lithium involved there, right? So it's important for sort of the future energy transition that they are hoping to make, as well as to be competitive in that marketplace with building things. There's also a national security element because a lot of these minerals are used um, in national security applications. And having access to them or not having access to them can be really significant for your national security. So other countries have been really working on this for quite a while. We're, we're actually quite late to the game. Canada is not a 
huge supplier of critical minerals. We don't have massive reserves in the way we do of some other natural resources, but it's still significant and there's still enough that it can make a difference um, to Canada's national security. And one of the things they're essentially saying is that after how relations changed with China in recent years and what they've seen with Russia doing uh, to Europe with natural gas, they don't want Canada to ever be in a situation where we're reliant on those powers, and China in particular is one of the furthest ahead on this, for things like our critical minerals. They want to not only be able to get them in Canada, but they want to be able to do end-to-end processing on them in Canada. So from mining all the way up to developing and putting them into the marketplace to recycling them. So there, remember we heard during COVID about onshoring supply chains. It means having the whole supply chain here in the country. That's one of the things they're hoping to do with critical minerals. But at this point, it's still like many, many years away because a lot of them are in very remote areas. Um, and not only will they have to find geologists who can go in and find these minerals and how much we have of them, but they'll have to build like roads and electricity grids mm-hmm. to be able to mind them. So this really is sort of a long-term strategy they're looking at. The long-term strategy, and you'd mentioned under that umbrella, Mercedes, national security, stability of the industry when it comes to, you know, for example, the the cars, uh, being competitive on the world market. But I'm also wondering, with that $4 billion investment, do we see a return on investment? Is is this a money-making proposition for us as a nation? It it can be, and the question will be, um, do we? You know, at the end of the day, so many other countries are sort of so far ahead of this and, and selling it that that's a question for sure. Um, they're very, very valuable. The question would be sort of who are we selling them to? It would be likely more sort of our friends and allies. Um, some countries have far more. For example, um, I, I think it's cobalt that we have like 2.9% of. And the Democratic Republic of the Congo has like exponentially more. So it's not that we have sort of this like we do with oil and gas. It's more about um, you can make money selling any amount of it. Will the money pay off? I'm not sure they're making that argument um, so much as they really are making that energy transition and national security argument that it will at least ensure Canada. And it deals with some issues, too, around foreign ownership. Um, right now, there's one mine in Canada that is producing lithium and is owned by Sinomine, um, which is a Chinese-owned company. So there's some concern about making sure that it's also Canadian-owned companies. So in that sense, there would be profit um, versus foreign-owned companies that are conducting mining of these sort of sensitive minerals in Canada. Uh, Mercedes, let's kind of switch topics. But you also on the show uh, had a chance to speak with NDP leader Jagmeet Singh. Um, you know, and obviously healthcare is an issue that we're experiencing and feeling right across this country. So it, I would say it's becoming a healthcare crisis in Canada, and especially in the emergency room departments in, in children's hospitals. What did he say about that? Well, he basically said that he may be willing to support his, uh, pull his support, pardon me, from the government over this, which is pretty significant and is a big change from what he said earlier in the week, last week, where he said, you know, the supply and confidence agreement that they have with the government stands and they were concerned about the healthcare crisis, but they don't think what the country needs right now is an election. And on the show, he changed his tune and he reiterated that on Monday. So it is a deliberate shift. It wasn't like he slipped up. Um, and he is saying that if the government doesn't do something about the health care crisis, they're looking at pulling their support. Of course, he wouldn't say exactly what or what the timeline is on that. So those are sort of two key missing parts of information. And it was, it was interesting to watch uh, the response because some people were like, oh, finally, he's holding the government accountable. And other people said, well, this is really a provincial issue and the provinces just want money with no strings attached. So that's not realistic. So this position doesn't make sense. 
Um, but it is a sign clearly that the NDP thinks that this is an area that they should be pushing the government on. It's an area that I mean, you don't need polling to tell you. You can tell by talking to people they're really concerned mm-hmm. about. Um, so it's sort of the first time that we've seen the NDP talk openly about the possibility of pulling the support from the government, although I don't think there's sort of any sign that's imminent at this point. Uh, that does put a little bit more pressure on the federal government if it's anything more than words, which sort of remains to be seen at this point. Juan, just before we let you go, Mercedes, touch on something that you've been covering for months and months, maybe a year and a half or so, definitely during the pandemic. Uh, A report from the Arbor uh, Institute came out that said that the military in our nation is an institution that's fundamentally out of sync with the values of Canadian society. Does this come as a surprise to anybody? No, and, and that report actually came out a while ago, but what's coming out today is going to be the government's response. There's 45, I think, recommendations in that report, approximately, um, and the government had until the end of the year to say what they were actually going to accept and not accept. So we'll find that out today. It was actually supposed to happen yesterday, uh, but MP Jim Carr, former Liberal cabinet minister, passed away. Whenever that happens, the House rises, uh, and the documents had not been tabled in the House yet. And when that happens, it means that we can cannot release them publicly. Um, so we had them under embargo, but we can't say what's in them. So finally, um, today at 1045, when the House is back, now that they have recognized the passing of this colleague of theirs, um, we'll find out what exactly the government intends to accept or not accept from that report um, and, and sort of a little bit more maybe about the timeline and how they plan to do that. Thanks for breaking it all down, Mercedes. Appreciate your time. As always, stay warm. Thanks, you too. Thanks. Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. And as you know, uh, the West Block runs on Global and then it re-airs right here on 770 CHQR every Sunday at 11 a.m. The world is ever-changing and Canadians want the latest information from the world of news, entertainment and sports. So what were the top searches for Canadians in 2022? Our on-air contributor Dave McIver went to Google to find out. It's no surprise Canadians hopped on to Google to find answers to some of their questions this year. The search engine has dominated the world of internet searches for a while now. So what were Canadians searching for this year? In news, it was the Ukraine conflict. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We begin with the Russian aggression in Ukraine. Canada has joined NATO allies in announcing sanctions against Russia, denouncing Vladimir Putin's decision to violate international law. Make no mistake. This is a further invasion of a sovereign state, and it is completely unacceptable. President Joe Biden today also accused Russia of starting an invasion. He said it was clear from Vladimir Putin's speech yesterday that Putin intends to move even further into Ukraine, carving out a chunk of the country. None of us should be fooled. None of us will be fooled. There is no justification. Further Russian assault in Ukraine remains a severe threat in the days ahead. And if Russia proceeds, it is Russia and Russia alone that bears the responsibility. Russian troops have already moved into Donetsk and Luhansk in southeast Ukraine, where Russia has backed a bloody armed rebellion for eight years. Putin calls it a peacekeeping mission. Biden doesn't buy that. Russia's moved supplies of blood and medical equipment into position on their border. You don't need blood unless you plan on starting a war. We have to stop shootings, we have to stop bombing right now. This is, a, this is what we want as of now. Just pray for Ukraine. 
help us, please. The rest of the world is watching. We are there and uh, we do support them. And while Ukraine was the top search news item, the top trending search went to a little game that exploded in popularity in mid-October of 2021. In many ways, Wordle is more of a craze than a simple game one disciple called addictive nonsense. A software engineer named Josh Wordle created Wordle last fall for his wife and friends. It's a web-based program which gives users six tries to guess a five-letter word. And there's only one word per day. Get it right, and you get to post those little green boxes for all to see. Jimmy Fallon became so obsessed. App at and He spent 10 minutes one show trying to solve the puzzle. When it came to people who had passed away, names like Bob Saget and Betty White were in the top five, but nobody could surpass the Queen. Crowds gather, laying flowers and paying their respects for Queen Elizabeth II. Good evening, the world mourning the loss of Britain's longest-serving monarch, Queen Elizabeth, passing away today at the age of 96. Jeff Semple looks back on the Queen's lasting legacy that has forever changed the British royal family. In an ever-changing world, she was a rock of stability. Queen Elizabeth II famously said she had to be seen to be believed. And over seven decades, with each passing milestone, thousands turned out to see Britain's oldest, longest reigning, and most beloved monarch. In the world of sports, the most searched for athlete was a legendary Montreal Canadien. A Quebec hockey legend, one of hockey's most exciting players to watch, filled with unbelievable talent, has died. Guy Lafleur, who had been diagnosed with cancer, is dead at the age of 70. The Habs icon's death confirmed by his family this morning. This movie took top spot at the box office. You should be at least a two-star admiral by now. Yet here you are. Captain. What is that? It's one of life's mysteries, sir. However, Top Gun was second in searches to Disney's Encanto. Many years ago, this candle blessed our family with a miracle. Our house, our casita, came to life with magic. Hola, casita. In TV, Canadians wanted to find out more about one of the world's most notorious serial killers, as Jeffrey Dahmer was featured in Netflix's Monster. The smells. Power tools going all hours of the night. I hear screaming coming from your apartment. I'll just try and say I'm sorry. She gonna open your gift? Will Smith was second in celebrity searches with the slap heard around the world, but the trial between Johnny Depp and Amber Heard put Depp at the top. But I have never in my life committed sexual battery, physical abuse, all these outlandish, outrageous stories of me committing these things and living with it for six years and waiting to be able to bring the truth. Oh. For 770 CHQR, I'm Dave McIver.